Ever since I can remember, the museum hovered at the edges of my consciousness. At first, like New York, the museum was another faraway place to which my parents would disappear for weeks at a time to see Mama, my mother's mother, Gertrude Vanderbilt Whitney. Mummy needs to see her mummy, too, just like you do, my nurses would say. She'll be back soon. Small comfort. She was surely too old to need a mummy. The image of the museum grew as I did. Much later, in the fifties, it came to symbolize a completely different way of life from mine. I had chosen marriage and family over college and career. My mother, wanting me home, arranging for me to come out in society, had persuaded me to give up my dream of going to Bryn Mawr College to attend instead New York City's Barnard. Barnard is an excellent college, but living at home was a return in part to my protected childhood. Loving my mother, still wanting her approval, I had agreed. And then that same year, at eighteen, I fell in love with Michael Henry Irving, a Harvard graduate who had served in the Navy as an officer in the Pacific Theater during World War II. Astonishingly, this charming, intelligent friend of my older brother's loved me, too, and I was bowled over. Besides wanting to be with Mike, I felt stifled by what I perceived as my parents' indolent lifestyle and saw marriage as a chance to have an independent adult life with a mature, responsible man. We were married in June of 1947. Over the next ten years, we had four children. I aimed to be the perfect wife and mother, in contrast, of course, to my own mother and to her mother, my grandmother, Gertrude. Not for me, the round of parties, bows, trips, or a career spiriting me away from the home where I belonged. Mike's and my relationship would be a loving, happy one forever. Our roles, while intersecting and blending, would be clear. He would be the primary worker outside the home, on the way to becoming the successful architect he deserved to be, while I would keep house care for the children, and limit my outside activities to the school and church within which our children would flourish. And in fact, this is the way we lived for many years. Mike was a kind, loving, and thoughtful husband and father, and a very hard-working architect who designed distinguished houses and commercial buildings in Connecticut, where we lived after our first few years in New Jersey and Long Island. We took vacations with the children every summer in the Adirondacks, fishing, swimming, and camping in the very same places where my great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, and I had fished, swum, and camped. Later, we also cruised up and down the coast of New England because Mike was a skilled sailor and the children grew to love sailing as much as he did. I felt at that time morally superior to my grandmother, whom I criticized for having neglected her young children. While my mother had survived marvelously well, her brother and sister had, I thought, been harmed by their parents' lives of traveling parties and work away from them, and had passed on their wounded psyches to their own children. Without really knowing, I made unjustified assumptions, blaming my grandmother for the woes of my daring and dazzling but often troubled cousins. Today, I see that I was overlooking part of my own nature. 
The whole idea of being such a perfect wife and mother was impossible. I was hiding my subconscious aspirations. When I came to recognize them in the 70s, that ideal family life no longer seemed possible. I didn't manage to live in several worlds as my grandmother had, but chose instead to leave our home and the husband I had loved for so many years.